This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashan Johan. On the 10th of October, Prime Minister Ismail Sabri Yaakob announced the dissolution of Parliament. This means that GE15 will be taking place within the next 60 days. While the date has not been announced by the Elections Commission yet, many Malaysians have voiced their disgruntlement towards an election being called right smack in what potentially could be a period of heavy floods across the country as we experienced and witnessed during monsoon season last year. So on today's show, we're going to be unpacking the politics of Undi Banjir. Joining me on the show to help me do exactly that is Iskandar Faris. He's the Communications Director of the Think Tank, REFSA. Welcome to the show, Iskandar. Prime Minister Ismail Sabri dissolved Parliament this week. What are your overall thoughts on the dissolution of Parliament? Thank you, Dashan. It's been known um, from different circles and I think it's also public knowledge that there has been an ongoing rift uh, between AMNO, AMNO's president, uh, Zahid Hamidi, and also the Prime Minister Ismail Sabri. And for Malaysia, it's the first time we've seen a non-president of a party becoming a prime minister for, what is it, about 17 months, uh, right. around there. Since the past few months, it has been intensified. We can see that top leaders in AMNO uh, have plainly in public pressured uh, the prime minister, Ismail Sabri, uh, countless times to dissolve parliament. And Ismail Sabri as well, I think, becoming the first non-president of AMNO to become a prime minister uh, would like to extend his tenure. So I, I guess if we put ourselves in Ismail Sabri's shoes, he would like to have a longer tenure than uh, what he right. had uh, now. So he has also played a few games uh, to delay the, dissol- the dissolution as uh, long as he could. Uh, different tactics employed, um, but then it seems uh, it seemed to have come to a head uh, in October last uh, this week, or it, we can say last week because mm-hmm. the rumors started swelling in, in uh, middle of the week. Really. Right. So with that, Amno had managed to push uh, Ismail Sabri to dissolve, and we can see from the statement of uh, Yang Dipertuan Agong that. This election is not, nothing but a reflection of the chaos or uh, the the inability of AMNO to come to a conclusion. So it has no choice but to dissolve. Right. Uh, the, the, His Majesty has no choice but to dissolve. Uh, obviously for AMNO, uh, for a couple, of, a couple of reasons, they think that having an election earlier is better than later. We will see recessions around the world next year. So uh, that has become a factor, I think, for them as a consideration. Uh, They don't want to go into an election where, uh, as a government, where people are feeling the pinch of um, uh, recession and global uh, slowdown. So that's the consideration that they have uh, for this election. Right. What do you make of the timing of the dissolution, especially given that Parliament would be automatically dissolved anyway next year, maximum around Q2 in 2023? 
Um, and also the fact that, you know, from the meteorological department um, and the many other experts and just based on our own personal experiences um, as a collective living in Selangor and many other states in Malaysia, November, December most likely will be, you know, in heavy floods in many parts of, of Malaysia. So what do you make of the timing of the dissolution? This election, uh, I think only a certain few within AMNO would like it to happen this time around. Mm-hmm. If we compare all political parties, only AMNO and a, a faction that aligns itself to the president wants it to have it earlier. We, we've seen uh, statements by the MAD department, by every other experts, that it's not advisable to do elections uh, at the end of the year, uh, particularly when we've seen the kind of destruction it has uh, brought last year. Uh, when we we saw the extraordinary floods uh, in certain parts of the region, even Pahang, it was some parts were devastated, and then uh, volunteers had to go down to the ground and actually salvage uh, some of the situation there. So logically, uh, people would advise against having a big event such as an election during this period. The decision makers in Amno might not be driven by uh, political logic or um, strategy when when they want, when they uh, push for election uh, by this year because that was the you uh, the words used by Ahmad Maslan they want an election before the year ends right before it goes to the next year in some sense we can say that the the, the upcoming uh, headwinds from uh, economic slowdown uh, and also the court cases that uh, has uh, lined up for the top leaders of AMNO. These are all different uh, factors that they are considering when uh, they, they were calling for election. So I would say that them pushing, uh, pushing for this election is more of a uh, sort of desperation to, to survive rather than uh, a political uh, masterstroke for their party or coalition. Based on Zahid Hamidi's speech uh, at uh, the MIC uh, conference or gathering, we can see that it's pretty much uh, a personal interest at stake rather than it is a party interest. Now, both Ismail Sabri and Zahid Hamidi have since claimed that parliament was dissolved because of rogue Perikatan National Ministers in the in the government, in the cabinet, um, sending letters to the Agong that we shouldn't have elections during floods. Um, and and they are basically what they, they concur is that, you know, there is so much of disarray in the cabinet that it's best to return the mandate to the people. That is their narrative. What do you make of this and also the relationship between AMNO and Perikatan National right now? The relationship between AMNO and Perikatan National, especially Bersatu, uh, we can see we can say it as tenuous. Uh, some parts of AMNO still wants to ally with PAS, especially at the state level. Um, but Bersatu seems like the red line for them. Right. Uh, and PAS, although they have said uh, publicly that they will be with Persatu. Uh, nothing is yet uh, confirmed or set in stone. So we have this quandary of uh, 
very vague relationship right. among the BN, the Barisan National, and Perikatan National. The reasons uh, that were well, that were given by Ismail Sabri and Zaid Hamidi uh, that they dissolved because of rogue elements within the uh, the the cabinet, especially Perikatan National ministers. It seems like a pretext more than a reason. Uh, like I've mentioned earlier, there have been many factors leading up to this decision to, to dissolve parliament, especially with pressures from top UMNO leadership, uh, the top five pressuring Ismail Sabri. So whatever comes after that seems like a pretext. We, we can, as an observer, I think most of the listeners out there also uh, can see this. It's a convenient excuse to use to justify what they they are doing. Because if anyone follows Malaysian politics, we have known uh, ever since uh, Ismail Sabri took office, the question of election has always been looming uh, throughout his premiership. Tokmat. Zahid Hamidi, Ahmad Mastan has always been uh, reminding people that election is coming soon. And it's bizarre because you have an AMNO president, uh, uh, an AMNO prime minister at its helm. Right. With AMNO ministers and Barisan national ministers. They are the ones helming the country. Yet there are AMNO top leaders who are criticizing. Uh, the the government, so it is a very confusing and weird uh, development to have an AMNO government being sabotaged by AMNO leadership itself. I think what they are trying to say, what Zahid Hamidi and Ismail Sabri wants to signal is that okay, now it's end game. We are going into elections. AMNO is AMNO. The rest, of, the rest of the world is the rest of the world. For Ismail Sabri, he wants to try to get closer to Amno because now that he's no longer sitting together with uh, the Perikatan National uh, members, especially Muhyiddin, he needs to find allies within his party. After incurring their wrath for not dissolving the, the parliament, he's trying to atone for his perceived indiscretion. Right. Now, you brought up um, Zaid Hamidi's now infamous speech at the MIC conference where pretty much if you look at the speech like you alluded to, there is that element of, it, it highlights an element of self-interest um, with regard to calling for the elections um, this year. Now, it's not just President Ahmad Zaid Hamidi. Um, Amno has clearly decided that they're going to stick by the president. They're also going to stick by, you know, the likes of Najib. They haven't distanced themselves from Najib, um, despite him now being a, a convicted felon in prison. Does this hurt or help Amno's chances at elections? For Amno and Barisan National, if we look back at the state elections, their support base wouldn't exceed the 30 plus percent they've received, even when it was uh, GE14. Right. So GE14 was UMNO at, at its height. We have Najib, we have 
all the resources uh, allegedly from 1MDB uh, propping up the uh, coalition. So this was AMNO at its height and it still only received around 30% of uh, the voter share. So when we go into uh, the, the state elections, even to the most recent one in Johor, there's not much change there. Right now, AMNO is not as great as GE14, AMNO. There are many factions, but we can't discount that they might rally together to work together as one unit because they see an existential threat at the moment. But it's unlikely that they will be able to form a government alone. At this point of time, Perikatan National and Barisan National will still be at loggerheads because of similar interests in a way that they, they compete in certain uh, certain constituency, certain areas, because they share, this, uh, they share the same voter demographic. Right. And also because these two parties believe that one party should be dominant over the other. This is a very toxic trait of political parties that should be made irrelevant because our political landscape have changed so much that it's no longer the Barisan National Days of one party to rule them all. Right. AMNO is delusional in that sense. Uh, it can't accept the new political reality. But at the same time, it has an overinflated uh, impression of uh, its strength. How they will uh, perform this election, uh, time will tell because the voter turnout will likely be the deciding factor on whether we will have a hung parliament or even uh, a stronger or uh, an AMNO with more seats. There are rumblings that the current Prime Minister Ismail Sabri could also be Barisan National's Prime Minister candidate heading into GE15. How popular is Ismail Sabri among the masses? I'm wondering if Ismail Sabri being the Prime Minister candidate or potentially being the Prime Minister candidate as this has not been confirmed yet, um, could it hurt Amno's chances or help them? The tragedy of Ismail Sabri is that if he played his cards differently, he could be a reformist Prime Minister. He is the first Prime Minister to strike can say a deal or uh, an understanding with uh, the opposition to to pass a few bills and also reforms that can change the very fabric of our political DNA. Right. With the opposition support, a, a few crucial bills, including the uh, the uh, uh, the anti-hopping law. Uh, equal constituency arrangements, even the empowerment of PSSC, uh, Parliamentary Special Select Committees. If he had chosen to be bolder in enacting reforms and go a bit further to talk about fixed parliamentary term, uh, to push for fixed parliamentary term, to push for political financing, he, he could have carved a great legacy for himself. Right. But then we can say that he caved into pressure. Uh, 
that the pressure the pressure was so overwhelming that he couldn't really resist, even though he has the ammunition to do so. So the 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 verdict for that could be mixed. If he had, if he had gone through that hero's journey of a reformist, then maybe he could have uh, won the middle ground. And it could be a harder battle to fight uh, for the opposition. Right. But his obvious weaknesses and the impression that he caved into pressure from the the so-called kleptocrats really tarnished this potential how that will turn out in uh, in in the voting uh, trends uh, we we have to wait and see but that is uh, the initial impression on the show with me today is Kiskanda Faris comms director of Refsa after the break we discuss the challenges Pakatan Harapan faces heading into GE15 keep it here on beyond the ballot box BFM 89.9 Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dafrin Johan. And on the show with me today is Iskandar Faris, Communications Director at Brefsa. And we're talking about the politics of Undi Banje. So, Iskandar, let's switch gears and talk about Pakatan Harapan. What are some of the challenges that PH faces in the upcoming elections? Pakatan Harapan's priority, I see, is that it has to regain the trust of voters. While some people have claimed that Pakatan did a good job in its first term of uh, government, these messages has not reached out to the, the larger pool of voters. The subsequent government that came after Pakatan played up the, the negative sentiment that people perceive uh, the rakyat was feeling during Pakatan Harapan's uh, administration. So this uh, is one of, I think, one of the many uh, challenges that Pakatan Harapan must overcome. Uh, it needs to remind people and make people feel that its administration has delivered more than uh, it has promised. Uh, especially in terms of uh, benefits, uh, reforms, economic reforms and health reforms that benefit the, the the lower to middle class voters. And also things like policies of halving the price of internet with greater speed. This is actually a very, uh, a very momentous uh, achievement, but rarely, uh, it's rarely spoken among, among the electorate. So there are certain gems or certain uh, achievements that could be highlighted more. Uh, so this might be uh, one of the main uh, hurdles that it needs to overcome, especially as uh, each coalition is gearing up towards the election in the next few weeks. One of the biggest talking points surrounding Pakatan Harapan right now is the dissolution of the state legislative assemblies or DUN um, along with, with parliament, right? Because PH has claimed that 
it will not dissolve state governments. That was the initial claim. And then the Penang chapter, after Ismail Sabri dissolved parliament anyway, the Penang chapter came out and said that perhaps it is best that we just dissolve it together with the parliament, um, you know, make things easier for the people. Um, we know that Selangor was very firm on wanting to dissolve, but then because of now the difference of opinion, um, we know that Pakatan Harapan is still deliberating and they say they will come up with a consensus um, within the next 24 to 48 hours. I'm wondering, is the idea to not dissolve state governments uh, uh, with the federal government a good decision? Um, because from my vantage point, it's a bit of a mess right now. We are in a new territory where states are trying to also exit their own autonomy uh, and their own uh, power in a sense because each state would have different consideration, uh, different demographic, uh, different realities that they have to, to face, especially when it comes to election. This is where I mentioned earlier a fixed parliamentary term, even at the state level, would be a force to reduce any unknowns or uncertainty. If we look back at investors' confidence, the rate of FDI, these are all factors that often link to political stability. But I would argue it's not political stability, it's about certainty. If we can have five governments changing in a matter of even five years, but if there is a certain element, a certainty throughout that five governments, investors' confidence wouldn't be shaken. What they fear the most is that when a new government comes in, there will be a 180-degree turn to the other way, different approaches to policies, different approaches uh, to, to handling businesses, and they have to relearn all over again. So that's the, the problem. When people say political stability uh, is needed to, to ensure business, uh, business confidence is uh, upheld, I would argue that it's certainty. And to get this kind of certainty, we need brave and uh, bold reforms in terms of uh, one is the fixed parliamentary uh, term, and the other is to have some sort of an agreement even with opposition and uh, the, the, the current or any serving uh, government that certain policies should be continued. Some policies does not reap benefits within the short term. Uh, let's say education policy. What you implement now, what you, you plant now, you can only sow the seeds perhaps 10 years into the future. That's like two terms. That's where a certain new model, a new model of governing, perhaps through the uh, PSSC, even at state level, is very much beneficial. If we have a bipartisan platform where, where representatives from both sides can agree on big policy measures that can ensure a certain policy uh, direction uh, and implementation of certain policies can be seen through across at least a middle uh, a middle period or a longer term. 
Now, Iskandar, many Malaysians still don't know the difference between federal and state elections or federal and state governments. Um, the other day when I was in a restaurant um, to tapau food, I overheard a conversation between two young Malaysians, um, perhaps in their 20s, saying that, oh, even if there's GE this year, um, we Selangor folks don't have to go out and vote because um, Selangor is only having our elections next year. Now, this is, of course, not true because in reality, state elections and, and general elections are two different things. And um, what it means is that um, even if Selangor doesn't dissolve the State Legislative Assembly this year, Selangor folks will still have to go out. It's just that when they go out, they will get one ballot paper instead of two. And then in a few months' time, uh, when Selangor decides to dissolve their State Assembly, they will get their other... There'll be another elections in which they will get their second ballot paper to vote there. Iskandar, I'm wondering, given that many Malaysians are still confused about the difference between state and federal elections, do you think that this is a strategically poor move on the side of PH? And even putting strategy aside, what should Pakatan Harapan do to overcome this challenge? According to media reports, uh, Pakatan Harapan is still deliberating mm -hmm. on the matter. Whatever the outcome of that decision-making process, Ultimately, Pakatan Harapan needs to educate the public on what is the nature of uh, this upcoming election. Right. There, there needs to be uh, a great deal of uh, voter education, I believe, even for postal voters. Because um, the EC has relaxed some of uh, its requirements. So there, there could be Mushroom, uh, mushroom, uh, mushrooming of uh, initiatives where where volunteers will bring back postal ballots to 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 the uh, polling booth. So these are all factors that could help Pakatan Harapan, uh, or it could help the other side. Uh, depends, but a greater voter education is good for everyone. Uh, we want the next government whoever it may be, uh, be a government that has been voted in. It shouldn't be a government by default because people didn't go out to vote. Right. So in that sense, Pakatan Harapan, NGOs, uh, civil societies, even, even uh, individuals, uh, NGIs, <laughs> who, who are passionate about building democracy, must think beyond partisan lines to increase the participation uh, of voters in the upcoming election. I think that's, that is key. Whether it's a strategic uh, mistake or not, once a decision has been made, I think a coalition has to go through with the repercussions of that decisions and come up with ways to mitigate any uh, shortfall from that decision. It could be in a sense of heighten, heightening uh, its education process, making videos of awareness, going down to the ground, educating uh, the different influences in that community so that they can then relay the information to, to their friends and their circle. Right. This is the very essence of democracy. I think we've seen even 
for the most mature uh, society or democracy, voter education is still not up to par. If we look at the US, they are one of the example of a system that doesn't have concurrent elections for for the different level. They also face the same problem, but it doesn't mean that every time we need to follow the same rules. Right. But it's about educating the public on what are the rules of the game and how they can participate and play the game so that at the end of the day, democracy is all about the people. We need to put the people in the center, make sure that their voices are represented, their voices are heard. At the end of the day, that's democracy. How important is it um, for the uh, the progressive parties of the opposition to unite under one banner in whatever shape that may come to be, whether it's an electoral pact, whether it's officially joining the coalition. Um, How important is a united front heading into um, GE15? Because we saw um, the results of, uh, you know, in Johor elections, um, there was clash between, um, in one seat between Muda and Pakatan Harapan. Um, and then even when we go back to 2018, um, when we look at the seat of Sungai Siput, um, which was defended by um, PSM's Michael J. Kuma for many, many years. And then, um, the, but in 2018, there was a clash between Pakatan Harapan and PSM there. For any coalition, more friends should be better than enemies. Especially when when uh, they are facing a juggernaut like BN, and on the other side, uh, another force in the in the in in the form of uh, Prekata National. I don't blame uh, the public if they are confused because it is a very confusing uh, development for the past few two three years. Yeah. It has been a roller coaster ride for for anyone who who has been observing Malaysian politics and trying to follow uh, Malaysian politics. But democracy is messy. The ideal case is that if the progressive parties intend to lodge out Parisan uh, National, it has to work together. Realist- realistically. Discussions may fall through. Some discussions may succeed. That we can only know through time whether whether these permutations or whether these arrangements see the light of day. What the people want is to see a government or representation that really represents what they want to build for the, the near future. COVID-19 and its aftermath, the Russian war with Ukraine, the breakdown of global supply chain, this has reflected in dire socioeconomic consequences on the ground for the people of today. So they want a coalition that can understand, recognize and feel through their problems while also f- trying to find a solution that can address this uh, problem sufficiently. That, I think, is what these political or progressive parties need to comprehend and they need to come out with a formulation of a formula 
that can deliver that kind of solution to the voters, whether it's an electoral pact, whether it's joining the coalition, that's up to, to the political parties. But essentially, they need to be reminded that they are going into election not for their self-interest, but the interest of the public. Absolutely. Now, Pakatan Harapan has decided not to form a big tent with the likes of Perikatan National, um, which most Pakatan Harapan supporters would agree is a good thing. However, the Johor elections proved that Perikatan National still has a decent pull among Malaysians, um, especially the Malay heartland. Talk to me about the challenges Pakatan Harapan faces here and how it can overcome this particular challenge. In the uh, 2013 elections, it was a clear path for victory. At least at that time, even 2008, anything but UMNO. We don't have a third force. We don't have any uh, independent parties coming along. But things have changed. In 2018, the anything but UMNO coalesced into a two-party competition where we have uh, Pakatan Harapan and then Barisan National on the other end. The culmination of that decades of activism and uh, political move to dislodge Barisan National finally ended the uh, Barisan National 60-plus rule of Malaysia. The same formula must be adjusted because the the landscape is now has totally changed. We have new players forming new coalitions. Uh, we still have BN because it it has been a juggernaut. It's not easy to dislodge something as big as that. The system itself was shaped by Barisan National, so they know how the system was shaped. They know what triggers and levers to use. Same goes for Perikatan National. They've they've tasted power. They know the system. They know the the the, the ins and out of uh, the the regime. For Pakatan Harapan, it's a challenge or a, a factor of how to show to the masses that they can govern better than these two coalitions. With COVID nineteen and Sheraton move, unfortunately, we have presented with a we have been presented with a unique opportunity. As a voter, we've tasted three governments in uh, the the rough uh, time of three years. Right. Yeah. So it's like sampling. <laughs> we we go to the supermarket. We get to sample the different goods. <laughs> If any government, Pakatarapan, Pakatan National, or even Barisan National, wants to prove to the voter uh, that they are the better government, this is the time to do it. During the campaign period, go to the voter and say that, hey, you've tasted all three governments. This is what we have to offer if you choose us as uh, the next government. The political parties can no longer campaign on the basis of individuals. It has to campaign as a government. Mm-hmm. It has to show, right, we are a coalition. We have these sets of leaders. We have this uh, prominent leader. 
these are the ideas that they bring and this is what we have to offer for you guys, the voters. I don't think uh, it will be... Uh, of course, some voters will still pick individuals uh, because of the personality factor. But all in all, the campaign has to be focused on the government versus government versus government campaign. Absolutely. And before we wrap this conversation up, Iskandar, would you have a final message for me? My message to the voters out there is that this is the time for us to choose the next government. I know a lot of people have their complaints, uh, disgruntlement with any government that they've faced before. But this is the time where you can actually participate in the process and choose the right people to helm the country. Don't waste that opportunity by not voting. Whatever your inclination is, go out to vote, block the date when it's announced and call your friends. Let's go to vote together. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Dasha. That was Iskandar Faris, Communications Director at REFSA. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.